0: This is Tiger Hall. Why are things the way they are? Our first conversation in this trail is with the sociologist Marianne Cooper. Marianne is a total rock star in the gender equity space. She's a senior research scholar at Stanford University, where she conducts research on gender, women's leadership and diversity and inclusion, among other things. She was the lead researcher for Sheryl Sandberg's best selling book, Lean In Women, Work, and the Will to Lead. I'm sure a lot of you listening, like me, have a copy sitting on your bookshelf. She's also an author on all of the Lean In and McKinsey Women in the Workplace reports. I want to ask her why we're in this mess in the first place, why this bias against mothers even exists, and how the way we've structured our societies and workplaces doesn't tend to serve this segment of society, and what we should be aiming to change. Here's our conversation.
1: Marianne, why is being a working mom still so shit? Well, let me count the ways, I guess is how I would I would <laughs> respond to that question. Um, it, it's a few things, but I think I would sum it up by saying society isn't set up to support working mothers. So work is still pretty rigid in a lot of ways, inflexible, long hours are expected, 24-7 availability. Often people are given a lot of projects with crazy timelines and they're under-resourced. So there's just a lot of demand and um, stress with that. And then mothers face a liability at work. There can be assumptions that they're not committed or Um, You know, if they step away from their their desk to whatever it is, pick up kids or log off to take the kid to the doctor, um, they're often worried that they're going to be judged negatively for their caregiving responsibilities. But added to all of that really is the rise of intensive mothering, which is that the standards for what even being a good mother are or have just ratcheted up. So mothers are always feeling like they're falling short. They're comparing themselves to these really high standards where they're supposed to be completely focused on their kids. And what I hear a lot of working moms say is they feel like they're not doing a good job at home and they're not doing a good job at work. And that feeling, I think, becomes like emotionally and physically kind of like you're treading water and you're just trying to keep your head above water an inch, you know, at least an inch. Yeah. And that's just exhausting over time. Um, okay,
0: so let's dive in a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I know from reading some of your work that social patterns are not accidents, right? Our organizations were designed by men, for men. How do you suggest we look with a critical eye at how our organizations are designed?
1: That's a great question. I think too much of the time, we don't really think about why things are the way they are, which is sort of what sociology does in general, is it sort of says, you know, we do things one way, but why? And we actually could do mm-hmm. things really differently. And I, I think a great example is uh, when the pandemic started, like all these jobs that for a whole set of reasons people said could not be done remotely like 48 hours later, we're done remotely. And I remember talking with a friend of mine who said that there are certain roles in her organization that for years, leaders were like, nope, nope, can't be done, can't be done. And then like 48 hours later, after a global pandemic starts, you know, ta-da, they can be done <laughs> differently. Um, and so there's a lot of assumptions about work that we have or about how work has to get done or what good work is, that if we really peel back the layers, aren't necessarily the case. Um, and thinking about with. All of that with a critical eye is really important. So what we've learned through the pandemic is that actually we don't need to be in the office all the time. So and people can care for their kids and or other family members and still continue to work, though, of course, we need more supports on that. But organizations are really set up a lot of the assumptions and ways of doing things like the world was decades ago with an assumption that there's someone home caring for kids and taking care of all the personal stuff. And that's just not true anymore.
0: So, in terms of what can be done and looking at workplace design, what needs to happen? What needs to change? What can leaders do? And what can we as individuals do?
1: Well, That's a, that's a big question, actually. <laughs> that was a lot of
0: questions, actually. <laughs> I bundled a load of questions there.
1: Yeah. So, I, I think if you're sort of designing work to fit people's lives, I think you need to think about two things and keep them front and center is how can we make work more humane? And then relatedly, how can we make it more sustainable? And I think a lot of companies have been worried about burnout throughout the pandemic, burnout and, and mental health concerns and things like that. So it's top of mind for a lot of leaders. But Broadening what it is that is causing a lot of stress in people's life, I think, is important. And and some of that has to do with bias and discrimination that people are experiencing at work. Um, If we're talking about mothers in particular, there's a lot of bias that's directed towards mothers. So leaders can really bring awareness. First of all, I think they need to understand themselves what these biases are, how they play out in the workplace both in evaluations, but in how mothers are treated day-to-day. And it's not just mothers, it's really everyone who does caregiving. And so fathers as well, but mothers are, are often more penalized and have more negative experiences. So, And then building that into people processes, evaluations of being on the lookout for when biased language is used or when someone says, maybe she should be on the project, but she just had a kid, so I'm not sure if that's really going to work for her. Um, so that level of raising awareness is really important, but it's not just, you can't just leave it about awareness. You have to actually build it into your your people processes and then your benefits as well to make it more inclusive. And if you do all of those things, you actually create a more sustainable workforce. It's just a more caring organization.
0: Mm. So in terms of bias, firstly, I'd love to understand where this bias against working mothers comes from. And you just mentioned there that working mums are more penalised than working dads.
1: Why is that? The quick answer is that women are are more readily seen as caregivers and men are more readily seen as providers. So we have beliefs about what men and women are like and what they're good at. But we have these, the backdrop to this larger story is this clash between two very strong cultural ideologies. One is what sociologists call the ideal worker. So the ideal worker is someone who's always available to work, always in the office, working long hours, just like super committed to work. And then on the opposite end is the good mother. And our conception of the good mother is someone who's always available for her kids, always focused on her kids, always doing those things. So those two cultural ideologies stand in opposition to each other. So culturally speaking, anyway, you can't really be both. You're sort of the way we think about it, and it slips into the way we kind of process information and think about things, is that if you're a really good mother, you're probably not that good at your job because you're distracted, you're focused on your family. And if you're really good at your job and really focused on your career success, then you're probably not a good mother. And not that we consciously always think that way. Some people do, but it comes up in what people say and even how people feel. So, so many times I've had the experience where some I'm just out, whatever, talking to people, other parents, and I'll hear a mom say, well, my kids are already kind of not getting enough because I work. You know, they're, sort of, they're already being <laughs> left behind in some way because they work. And so it's just interesting how these things play out, not just in our perceptions of the quality of someone's work or their ability to perform better in our own assessments of ourselves.
0: Oh, my gosh, I'm just realizing now from hearing you speak how deep a lot of this probably probably runs. But I mean, that that leads me on to one of the things I really wanted to ask you about, which is about our internal biases and to what extent this plays a part in all this. So I wanted to use myself as an example. My mother was a, actually to to quote you, a sort of good mother. She was a a stay-at-home mom, as were the mothers of a lot of my friends and community growing up. If I look back, I actually, I can't think of a single mother amongst my social set where the mother had a career or a breadwinning job. You know, they might have a job sometimes, but you know, it's just to earn a little bit of extra money for the family. It was the man who was the breadwinner. So growing up, because this is what I observed from my world around me for the longest time I assumed that this would be my role too and it's only now I'm in my 30s I'm looking back and I'm realizing just how much this shaped my earlier views on my career and I, I've sort of since done some internal work and I've realized I don't want to be a stay-at-home mom so I have to look at this mm-hmm. but to what extent do our own perceptions of traditional gender roles shape how we some women or women show up at work
1: yeah well there's a few parts to that i mean you know most women most mothers work now so at least in the united states i'm sure the, the numbers are similar in in the uk and other parts of the world but you know 70 yeah. percent of mothers work so the the predominant pattern now is that and and Women work for you know, the same reasons men do, because they, they want to and because families need, need money. But women's share of the family income, what they contribute, has now become like critical. It's not really an option anymore. And so that really changes things. Nonetheless, um, what we do see in research is that earlier in their lives, young women are already anticipating that they're going to have to pull back on work to some degree um, when they think about having children. So that's, that's anticipating you know, the role of being a mother and a caretaker and what that's going to mean for your day-to-day work life. And so it can start to impact people. You know, there's this phenomenon of leaving before you leave, which Sheryl Sandberg wrote about in Lean In and some other research corroborates that for some women, when you start to think about all that's involved in, in childcare and having a family and doing all of that, it can dampen your aspirations or it can make you maybe go down one path instead of another in your career in a way that isn't happening to men. And so that's where you see kind of gender differences in career aspirations or even leadership aspirations.
0: In my early 20s, I, I've been thinking a lot about this this girl that I met at a party in my early 20s. It was in London, and she was over drinks telling us, oh gosh, I'm, just, I'm working so hard. I'm working so hard. And then she said, and honestly, what's the point? Because in a few years, I'm just going to get married and have children. And I remember feeling so annoyed with her Mm -hmm. but also I think it annoyed me so much because deep down that was something I kind of thought as well because of all of this Messaging I'd received growing up, and I didn't really know many mums who worked. And what's interesting now, because I'm connected with her on LinkedIn, she's now founded her own company. She's doing very well. <laughs> I keep thinking that maybe I ought to get in touch and sort of work out like what happened, like yeah. what happened to you. But I just think this is so common. The more people I say this out loud to, and I find it quite embarrassing and shameful to say, you know, for the longest time I assumed I was going to be a stay-at-home mum. Mm. The more people I say this to, the more people are like, oh my gosh, me too. Me too. And that has impacted so many of my decisions, what, you know, from what I chose to study, from the first jobs I went after. And then that shapes the whole of, of the rest of your career.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's these societal scripts that are around us that that sort of shape our sense of self. I mean, getting back to how this runs very deep, I mean, through processes of the the messages we get growing up, we're given, you know, clear ideas and signals about what boys are like and what girls are like. And those assumptions and stereotypes get embedded in how we think and feel about ourselves and what we think is a quote unquote good fit for us in our career. And so when family looms very large, it can it can be a very big force in what people, how people construct their careers or their job ladders, um, and becoming aware of that is really helpful. But it's also maddening <laughs> because <laughs> when you're looking back in it and kind of thinking it through, um, that that can be a force that really put you on a different trajectory. And I, I think you know, again, there's sort of this tension here, which is that most women have have to work. Most women are not. Uh, assuming, I think, that they're going to be stay-at-home mothers because the, the finances just don't work out that way for most families. But I think there is, because women are disproportionately shouldering the load at home, there is a sense of trying to figure out, like, how am I going to work 40 or 40 plus hours a week and do everything on on the home front and therefore trying to, you know, maybe find a flexible job or a more flexible o- occupation. And then, then this is one of the reasons why you see the occupational gender segregation that we see, where women go into certain occupations often that are a little bit more family friendly, so to speak, and men maybe are, are freer in some ways to go into occupations that require really long hours. So essentially, I think, I think I'm
0: really wondering, if we're calling out workplaces for being designed by men for men and sort of pointing fingers at that for why women often don't thrive at work after having children, not always, but often. I mean, just is that the whole picture? How much are these underlying things impacting the whole thing?
1: Well, it's a a system with many threads, isn't it? That It's stitched together for something that's supposedly so natural, or there's a lot of stuff going on to uh, shore it all up. So yeah, I mean, the gender ideologies in and of themselves become part of, of gender inequality. So The way, you know, uh, straight couples divide up housework and childcare, usually with women doing more, becomes a factor in all of this as well. So, and I was looking at some research today that reminded me that when people become parents, their attitudes become a bit more traditional, and so that whole thing becomes reinforced. And, and not I'm not saying that women want to do more housework and childcare because it's such a source of conflict um, among straight couples. Um, mm-hmm. But often there's what I would call either this sort of unconscious or explicit responsibility drift in which women begin to take up more and more of the work. I think it's reinforced by society. I was um, telling a colleague that I was registering my daughter for school and you're you know, putting in all this information. And one of the things they asked is, who's the primary contact, right? So it's like even the technology, even the form that I fill out for my kid actually reflects this idea that there is one person who's in charge of this child or there's a first order person who's in charge of, of this child. And so, you know, that's when you read about things like the school always reaches out to me, even though I put my husband as the, as the person to contact. Um, so we have a set of beliefs about how things should work. We often individually feel like they should work that way. Institutions reinforce this, even if none of us are better off for it.
0: Mm. You know, I, I saw a post on on LinkedIn recently. I forget. I'm trying to remember who posted it so I can give them the credit, but I thought it was very good. It was like, hands up whose father told you you could be anything you wanted. You know, so mm-hmm. Most people put their hands up. And hands up, Whose fathers really believed it when they said it. Again, hands up. Mm-hmm. And then also, hands up, whose father said all of this, but also casually let your mother do all of the childcare, <laughs> all of the housework. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that you yeah. know, these things, they just
1: they start from so young and Yeah. Well, it's saying one yeah. thing and doing another. And I think it 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 really does a disservice because there's sort of these conflicting sort of narratives and realities. There's one is that this sort of girl power, you can do anything, be anything. And then there's the reality that most dads don't do much around the house anyway. So you actually, if you're married to someone who's not doing much around the house, like that kind of limits what you can do and be. And in fact, there's a study that found that fathers who did more of like the domestic work at home, their daughters had like a broader set of career aspirations. So because these sort of gendered stereotypes are still so durable and so salient and so widespread culturally, deactivating them, deconstructing them takes more than a father saying, you know, do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want. I believe in you. It's it's all, it's, it's sort of day-to-day really busting apart these ideas about who does what, who's better at what, that allows children to have a broader set of like ways of envisioning themselves that are less gendered.
0: Hey, sorry to so rudely interrupt my own conversation, but I just wanted to let you know that this is a Tiger Hall podcast. Tiger Hall is the world's leading social learning platform, and we have hundreds of interviews just like this with amazing senior business leaders from around the world. These can all be accessed via the Tiger Hall app, which is free to download, you get free content every month, and new stuff is uploaded every workday. I hope to see you there. At what point will this, and by this I mean our views on traditional gender roles, at what point will this start to change? Because society is changing, but our psychology tends to be very much stuck in, in these roles. So, you know, a large part of my mother's generation didn't work after children. If I have a daughter... If she grows up seeing me as a working mom is she more likely to have strong career aspirations herself and then this continued down the down the generation
1: Yeah I mean I think that's I mean you're, you're talking about you know social change which is is really hard to figure out what undoes what and what leads to what yeah. leads to sort of progress or evolution in these things and it's certainly the case that you know more women work now more girls, uh, you know, are going to work, have to work, want to work, are going to have careers, all of those things. But I don't think that, that our society has actually changed as much as we might have wanted it to. In other words, I, I guess I think people believe that mothers are the best caretakers of their children. And as long as that is be- the belief... There's always going to be difficulty for working mothers until we believe that like children can be are just as fine being, you know, their outcomes are fine, whether their father is caring for them primarily or a nanny is caring for them or in their daycare. But when people continue to believe that mothers are the best caretakers of their children, that the success of the child is really dependent on what the mother does, this kind of binds us in a a way that prevents a lot of things from changing. Um, So I don't know. I mean, in the United States, like we don't even have federal paid family leave. Like, I, I think we think we've changed. And I think we have in certain ways, right? It's not like... You know women are sort of expected to work now, and obviously compared to like you know, before World War II, that's a huge change, but not as much as changed as we might have thought. So I don't think it's really about, I guess I see these things as you know, there's this back and forth between what our society is like built like our policies, our ideologies, our cultural beliefs, and then how we think and feel about ourselves. And that's how inequality works, right? It works not just. In terms of what opportunities you do and go, don't get or what resources you do and don't have, it's also how we think and feel about ourselves. but I don't think any of them in and of themselves is gonna jumpstart progress. I, I think all of them have to change um, because they're interwoven.
0: So it is kind of what you're saying we need more bad mums? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Moms are doing too good of a job for things to change.
1: Yeah. Well, there is this, and you know, there, it's a curious thing that there's been this rise in intensive mothering. So we can even see it in the the hours that working mothers are spending on what we might call primary childcare activities. And I was astounded by this statistic um, when I was doing research, um, that in 2000, so a while ago, but in 2000, working mothers were spending the same amount of time on primary childcare activities as stay at home, that stay at home mothers did in the 1970s, which is crazy, right? That means that working mothers are spent, they have very little leisure time and they're spending all of it that they do have outside of work on their kids. And that's because these standards have really changed and, and kind of gone up about what you're supposed to be doing for your children. Like everything has to be an educational activity and everything has to be like a healthy homemade meal from scratch. And like, God forbid your child is like bored or something like that. And that just adds to the workload. And, and one of the things, you know, I really love being a sociologist, but I have to say, I am so thankful that I understand that this is an ideology that there's literally been a cultural shift in what's expected of mothers, it's unrealistic. Most of us know it's sort of irrational, but we subscribe to it to to one degree or another. What knowing that has done for me has, I think, reduced guilt that I feel about all these things. And I know my kids are, you know, me working is not bad for my children. And I'm always in these like, you know, personal moments when I'm talking to people, like not at work, but just out in the world, you know, I'm like, do I tell them? like, actually, it's not hurting your child that you work. And I sometimes even when I try to go down that road, I'm not sure they really, (laughs) they really buy it to, to kind of reflecting our larger conversation here, which is I'm like, you know, actually, girls whose mothers work reach higher levels of educational attainment, they earn more money, and they're more likely to hold a supervisory role. Like, that doesn't sound like a bad set of outcomes to me. But the fact mm. that you feel like you're somehow, you know, shortchanging your children speaks volumes to me about our culture. And like, why are we holding on to that belief? Who is it benefiting? So How much of
0: our ideas of being a, a good mom and a good caregiver, how much of that is learned? And how much of that is an innate desire to nurture?
1: Well, this gets back to, I think, our, our conceptions about Men and women, and boys and girls, and sociologically, we talk about this. It's essentialism, is this sort of belief that women and girls are just naturally, biologically, better at caretaking than our men. Mm. Um, And you see it in terms of like who works in preschools and who who takes care of children. It's it's overwhelmingly women. In fact, there's like interesting studies finding that um, when men apply to be preschool teachers, people are like kind of suspicious and don't want to hire them. Right, so. Yeah. At the same time, we all know like stay-at-home mothers who absolutely should not be stay-at-home mothers. So, what <laughs> I I think is that these skills and capacities are probably evenly distributed among you know like a bell curve um, you know across. It's just that girls and women are expected to do more of it. They do do more of it. They can you know develop a skill set, but oftentimes you know sadly, I think women get divorced. And their, hus- their ex-husbands end up doing the amount of care that if they had just done it from the get-go, they wouldn't be divorced. So I don't think like men can't care or, or they're just bad at it and that women are just superior. I think it's just this system that we're all kind of stuck in that actually mm. leads to outcomes, again, that are, are not really good for most of us.
0: So as you know, I, I don't have children, but we do have a dog. And Maybe this is a bit of a weird parallel, but I find myself taking care of all of her meals, researching the most nutritious snacks, her puppy play dates. And then my husband is in charge of the fun, the sports, they're taking her for a run. The way we've divvied up responsibilities with our dog without ever having had a conversation really about you're going to do this, I'm going to do this. The way we've fallen into caring for her seems to be quite traditional and all felt very natural. How much of this is us following traditional gender norms that we've been fed?
1: Yeah, well, you know, to just get anything done, uh, this is like the way social psychologists talk about the world, we have to coordinate with people, right? And so that's kind of, you're constantly coordinating with people. And if there's pre-existing scripts about who's going to do what and who's good at what, That makes the coordination a lot easier. We're not like, hi, who are you? And and what do you get at? And we're not, you know, we sort of make these assumptions. And so, yeah, when couples kind of, quote unquote, start divvying things up, it's amazing how gendered they get really quickly. The other part of this, too, is to be, to really have an egalitarian relationship. Those things don't happen. It's like, even couples who think they're egalitarian, when you actually start adding up who's doing what... It's usually gendered and disproportionately, you know, the women, if these are straight couples, women women are doing more. And so what you're talking about, too, is a really important thing that sociologists have been talking about recently around, like, the mental load or cognitive labor. So women Mm -hmm. do tend to do the... The planning, the worrying, the monitoring, you know, things like reviewing which doggy daycare or <laughs> human daycare their <laughs> their, you know, little beings are gonna go to. It's that kind of stuff. And it's often invisible, right? Like running with the dog or taking the kid to the playground is kind of visible, but like, you know, researching where the preschool slots are and what food they serve and when is the application due? When do we have to get our deposit in? that's like a, it's a different kind of labor and it's cognitive labor. And I'd say it's very taxing. I feel and have felt myself like this, just, just this exhaustion from it all, you know, raising human beings is no joke. It is full on all the time. Um, and especially when they're little, like, I remember getting to Friday and being like, I can't do one more thing. I, li- I literally, and I would say that to my kids, I'd be like, I'm sorry, I, I just, I can't do one more thing. And then Mm-hmm. One time I said to my son, like, can you pick up the clothes on the on the floor in your room? And he's like, I just can't do one more thing. And I was like, <laughs> second grade, rough today. Yeah. <laughs> but I said it just as a sort of ethnographer, my child parroting back to me. What I was saying just kind of like if I were doing an ethnography of my family, I would have picked that gem up because that's just like a sign of something I Mm. said a lot or like, please don't no one can ask me anything for 15 minutes. It feels like there's just this like it's full on and it 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 doesn't stop and everyone needs you all the time at work. And and not in a bad way, right? At work, at home, and, you know, you're doing everything for everyone, and and you're supposed to be, like, exercising and doing self-care. And you're just, like, at the end of it, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm 14 years in on the parenting journey, and to anyone listening, I, I think it gets easier as they get older, personally. Although, you know, my teen years have just started, so talk to me in a year, and I'll be like, it's terrible. But I think it's easier <laughs> when they're more self-sufficient. Bigger, bigger kids, bigger problems, I know, yeah. but... um it gets easier. It's just, sometimes you can't even, I think women get to a point and and legitimately so that you're just not really sure if there's light at the end of the tunnel. And that can mean a lot of things. I think it means, you know, that there's literally a parental exhaustion, like scale of questions <laughs> that people are just parents, both, both mothers and fathers, but mothers more so are exhausted. And then you're like, how much do I keep giving to my career? You know, if you're, working hard at, at at your job but you're not really seeing that pay off and we know all kinds of, of biases racialized and gendered biases play out in that you just kind of get to the point where I think people just like they kind of want to scale back or give up not in terms of leaving the workforce but just maybe in terms of where they want to go and I can relate to that because it just gets to the point you know the more successful you are the more projects people give you you know it's it's tough yeah. it's tough but then what you what you need
0: to do at home doesn't change. No, no.
1: It's, a, it's like a marathon, you know, but you've been sprinting for a long time and it just gets really tiring. So it, again, it's like, it's sort of a, a death by 10,000 paper cuts thing. Not that I think it means that women, you know, don't want careers or they don't want to be in leadership roles or anything like that. They do. I just think there's this, it, like, it, it's visible, but often it's invisible because it's inside you of this just like, all the different things we're talking about, you just are like, I can't solve it. I can't, you know, and people hit various points where I think they just decide to make different decisions, whether it's, you know, moving to a different company or moving into a different kind of role or or whatever. So I think companies too are losing out because of this like crazy system that we have. Um, And it's difficult to untangle it. And there's, you know, certain parts that companies can really work at. But I even think just understanding and being humane about it all, you know, is, is really important and, and can make the difference between someone like feeling like, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to show up again tomorrow and back at it and like just kind of disengaging.
0: You used that word humane earlier as well. What do you mean
1: by that in a work context? I think it's seeing people fundamentally as people who are allowed to have needs and allowed to have life happen to them. Life happens all the time. You get sick, your mm-hmm. kids get sick, p- people die, things get stressful. And knowing that giving people space and time that if you've hired very good people, they will do good work and that it's focusing more on results than like whether or not you're in the office for the hours that I want you in for. So it's it's less of focus um, purely on the bottom line and understanding that if you treat people well, your bottom line does well too. And all too often for a whole host of reasons, including like we've got to you know make a return for our sh- shareholders and other ideologies, prioritizing people doesn't always happen. I think the pandemic has been helpful in that regard because I do think more companies, they had to. I mean, we literally have gone through a global health crisis, having to see people as people, caring about people. Um, in a much deeper way than than we have, rather than it just being this sort of purely instrumental work transaction.
0: Okay, Marianne, it's been so, so amazing to talk to you about this. Just as a sort of wrap-up question, are there any final things you can leave listeners with about challenges faced by working mothers and what can be done?
1: Another wrap-up question to so many different things we talked about. <laughs> I and mean, I guess I would say, you know, my advice I often give women is to really try to feel less guilty Because I think the guilt can be this gnawing thing at you. And then I would say, again, just to sort of underscore this point, that it's really on companies to create environments where where people can, again, have life happen. They can be parents, they can be, you know, caregivers um, and still have really, you know, Important careers in which they make significant contributions, but that's not going to happen on its own. You know, you you really actively need to be raising awareness about bias, but then creating kind of a monitoring of it and where it's showing up. If you're not, it is showing up, which means the best people aren't aren't rising up in your through your organization. So it's sort of the two parts of it, and that you're not alone. <laughs> If you're feeling like being a working mother is really hard. And I think it's, I think being a working parent is really hard or being anyone who has a significant sort of all-consuming responsibility. And, And the reality is we all do or should because we're all connected. We have families and people we love and our parents grow old and our capitalist system doesn't really make room for life to happen, but we all know it does. And so in our roles as managers and leaders and other things, creating better systems and kinder systems is, we all know that we need them and we all will need them. So it shouldn't be so hard, I feel like.
0: All right, Marianne, thank you so much. Once again, it's been, it's been so so amazing speaking to you. Thank you. I loved that conversation with Marianne. We've covered a lot how our deep-rooted gender ideologies mean we still very much see women as primary caregivers. And so long as this is the perception, this will always trap women to an extent. This perception also clashes with our view of what it means to be a good worker. I personally found it really reassuring that my own feelings about the messaging I got growing up are pretty normal, and that there are societal scripts that many of us are unconsciously following. A couple of things that Marianne touched on that will come up again later in the trail are what the pandemic taught us about flexible working and also the mental load, the cognitive labour that tends to fall to women. You've been listening to a Tiger Hall podcast. Quick favour, if you like this content, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new upload from us. And of course, if you're hungry for more, and why wouldn't you be, don't forget to download the Tiger Hall app for hundreds more just like this.